find Ecclesiastes, please. It's kind of easy to find. Right in the middle of your Bible is Psalms and Proverbs and then Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And if you have your copy of Scripture, of course, find it. If not, there are copies of the the Bible in the back of the pews in front of you. Even those who are watching from home, if you have your Bible nearby, find that. If I say Wednesday, November 15, 1989, some of you will feel that in the depth of your gut. For it was that Wednesday afternoon, 4.30-ish, that an F4 tornado swept through this city that I so deeply love. It announced its arrival out at Redstone Arsenal by doing damage there. But it it released its fury just west of the parkway, what then was near what was then the municipal golf course. We call it John Hunt Park now. And it, it barreled its way down airport road, flipping cars, demolishing buildings. By the time it reached Whitesburg Drive, uh, several people already were fatally injured. It continued over toward Jones Valley where children were at the Jones Valley Elementary School along with a couple of teachers and some painters, but a a, a quick-thinking teacher rushed them into a room where they were safe, probably saved several lives by doing that. The tornado continued on eastward past what where now sits the Madison County High School. For 18 and a half deadly miles, the tornado made its way ruthlessly through Huntsville, and when it had finished, 21 people were dead. Wednesday again, this time April 3rd, 1974, there was a super outbreak of tornadoes. Several tornadoes, some of them F5 and F4 tornadoes, cut across uh, North Alabama. Tanner, a small community in um, Limestone County, was hit by an F5 tornado, and people were just coming out of what was left of their houses when a second F5 hit. Across North Alabama and into southern Tennessee, 86 people were killed. Now, here's the question. What spiritual explanation is there for a tornado that rips through Huntsville and kills 21, a super outbreak that sweeps across North Alabama and southern Tennessee and kills 86? What what spiritual explanation is there for that? And and frankly, I I have none. I have no spiritual explanation for that. In... Folks in the insurance business call that an act of God, which means just it's a a natural event with no human culpability. And I understand the definition. I just wish there were some phrase other than act of God. How How do you justify a divine act in which there's so much death and devastation? I have a couple of theological answers. I believe, for example, that when Adam and Eve sinned, that that, that evil came rushing into the world where it didn't belong. And with that rush of evil, with the contamination of our universe, with, with the problem of evil came disease and, 
and tornadoes. But, but if you've been through a tornado, talking about a fallen world is probably not going to help. There's a whole element of, or segment of theology called theodicy, which is the defense of God in the face of evil, trying to defend how that a good God could allow evil to happen. But if you've been through a tornado, or if, you're, if your child is sick, or if you've suffered violence, then theodicy is probably not going to help a great deal. Truth is, there comes a time for silence. Unfortunately, Sometimes high-profile Christians miss that. One high-profile Christian who died not so long ago in 2005 when Katrina tore through New Orleans said that it was God's judgment on the, uh, the riotous living, the sinful living of the people of New Orleans. And then in 2010, when there was a devastating earthquake in Haiti, said it was because of the sins of the people of Haiti. In 2001, on September 11, uh, he and another, and well, several actually, some on the right wing and some on the left wing, declared that, that the, the terrorist attacks on the World Trade Center and, and the Pentagon and that plane that went down in, in, in Pennsylvania, that those, were, that those were acts of God, that it was God's judgment on the sinfulness of America. Now, those on, on one end said it was God's judgment against abortion and homosexuality, and those on the other end said it was God's judgment against racism and oppression. But my goodness, how presumptuous is it? Isn't it interesting? They all, they had different sins that God was mad about. But how presumptuous is it to assume what's going on in the mind of the, the creator of the universe? And how presumptuous is it to assign evil motives to God? They, I wish, I wish they understood there is a time, there's a time just to be Silent. We mortals would do well not to speak too quickly or too loudly in the face of, of devastation and heartache and natural disasters and, and unanswerable Questions. We mortals would do well uh, to remember not just their times not to speak, for our mouths may write checks that the truth can't cash, if you get my, my drift. Which brings us to Ecclesiastes 3. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1 begins, There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. And then verse 7 reads, there's a time to tear and a time to mend. There's a time to be silent and a time to speak. There is a time to talk, and then there's a time to be quiet. Sometimes it's not natural disasters. Sometimes it's, it's personal things. <clears throat> uh, a man dies an untimely death, and, and people with good intentions will say, God needed another tenor for his choir. But my goodness, I hope we don't believe that. A child dies, and people will say, with good intentions, God needed another angel in heaven. My goodness, I hope we don't believe that. What kind of God would, 
would break hearts and wreck lives just to beef up his, his tenor section or to, to add to his army of, of angels, not the God of the, of the Bible. Take Job's friends, for example. Three of them, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. I don't know why I remember that. I don't remember what I had for dinner last night, but somehow I remember those names. Job, remember, some believe it was a Hebrew parable. Some believe it's, of course, of course, an historical figure. But whichever is true, Job had these string of awful things happen to him. He'd lost his health. He'd lost his wealth. He'd lost his children in this short, painfully short period of time. And then his three friends show, showed up. Boy, I wish his three friends had heard Miss Kristen's children's sermon from a few minutes ago. Because they had a lot of words. One said, Job, if you had not been so sinful, this wouldn't have happened. The other said, it's the fault of your children. It's their sins. Another said, if you'll just pray and get right with God, then God will work everything out. I'm sure they had good intentions. But that would have been a perfect time to sit with Job, to embrace Job, to weep with Job, to say, I'm sorry, Job, and then to be silent. There's a time for silence. Now, I'm not suggesting we cannot express our questions to God. He can deal with those. I'm not suggesting we cannot express our anger to God. He can deal with that. I'm not suggesting that in your Bible study class or your small group or in your family or circle of Christian friends, you can't talk about why bad things happen to good people. That's okay. That's well and good to, to wonder, to, to ask out loud, how could this have happened? That's a good thing. But when we speak of such things, we should speak in hushed tones at best. We should speak humbly at best, understanding that there are mysteries that are beyond our ability to grasp. There is a time, uh, there's a time to be silent in the face of mystery. After Job's friends had offered their poor answers to Job's calamities, Job 38 begins, and now. Finally, God answers Job from the eye of a terrible storm. That's how it begins. There's a loud clap of thunder, and God asks some poignant questions. Hear them. Where were you when I made the world, Job? Have you ever refreshed the parched earth with rain? When, Job, is the last time you provided food for the birds? Job, I know life has been difficult and your pain is raw. But don't in your grief, even in your grief, forget this amazing, overwhelming gap between your understanding and my understanding. And Job's response is fascinating. He said... I'm speechless. There is a time for silence. I've talked too much. I'm ready to close my mouth and listen. Even Job understood there's a time to be silent. The writer of Ecclesiastes, we read a moment ago, there's a time to be silent. That's in chapter 3, verse 7. He spends now nine chapters talking about the... the, the um, 
vanities and difficulties of life. And he comes to his final chapter, chapter 12, verse uh, 13, and he says, Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. You know, when a Baptist preacher says this is the conclusion, that means he's about to circle the airport at least one more time. But not Job, not Job. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of every human being. It's kind of anticlimactic, it seems to me. After all the talk of vanities and difficulties, well, fear God and do what is right. Or as it says in the, the um, contemporary English version, everything you were taught can be put into a few words. Respect and obey God. This is what life is all about. So I might sum up today's message in conclusion, which means I got about 15 minutes left. I could sum up today's message. There's a time to be silent, but you can, you can always respect your Father and Creator. There are things we cannot know. There are mysteries too great for us to understand. So in the face of that, instead of trying to explain things and write checks that truth can't cash, let's just at best speak in hushed tones. But there's some things we can know, that God is good, that He is wise, and that He is kind. And in the end, that is enough. April 3rd and 4th, 1974. I mentioned that super outbreak a moment ago. I mentioned Tanner. So an F5 hit Tanner. Uh, one man was badly injured. When they pulled him out of the rubble, they took him to a church building to care for him. That's where he was when the second one hit and destroyed the church, and he died in the church. Down in Walker County, uh, remember it's Wednesday, in Walker County, a pastor and his wife were in the church building they served where they died. The tornadoes that ripped across North Alabama made, made their, their deadly way into southern Tennessee, and there's a small community called Vantown. There's a little church there where people had gathered for Wednesday night Bible study and prayer when the tornado hit, and two people died in that church. And then there was Piedmont, 1994. I spoke there. We had just come back from uh, Nigeria. We spoke as missionaries at the church in Piedmont in, in 1996, and they were still talking about the deadly tornado of Palm Sunday, 1994. It was Palm Sunday, 11.39 a.m. 146 people had gathered in the Goshen United Methodist Church. And they didn't know the tornado was coming. The tornado hit. Um, the building collapsed. Nineteen people died that day. One died the next day. Twenty of 146 people. Including a four-year-old little girl named Hannah, who was sitting on the front row. 
who was the daughter of the pastor, Reverend Kelly Clinn. At Hannah's funeral, Bobby Green, their pastor friend, said, people have asked, why did this happen in a church? And he continued, there is no reason. Our faith, he said, is not determined by reason. Our faith is undergirded by belief when there is no reason. Don't miss that. Our faith is undergirded by belief when there is no reason. And then he can, so faith is belief when there are questions for which there are no answers. And Reverend Kelly Clem, with her face still bearing uh, the, the bruises from the bricks that hit her, said this. And I read this in um, Rick Bragg's book, All Over But the Shout, and she was quoted. This might shake, might shake people's faith for a long time. I think that's normal. And then she said, but having your faith shaken is not the same as losing it. Having your faith shaken is not the same as losing it. We tape uh, TV church on Wednesdays, and um, I was getting ready to tell this story, and just out of curiosity, I Googled Kelly Clem. I wondered, where does she live? Well, she and her pastor, both retired United Methodist ministers, live in Huntsville. She's in the, is in the church director, the UMC United Methodist directory. Her, her number was there. I called her. I said, Kelly, this is Travis Collins. You don't know me, but I'm about to tell your story. And, um, and she came and let us interview her, and she's here this morning. Kelly, would you join me up here, please? Dale, her husband, is with her. He wrote a wonderful book, moving book, about this day, and she has been gracious enough to let me interviewers. Kelly, thank you so much for doing this. It's a great gift to us. So first, tell us about that morning. Okay. Um, in a few words, right? Go as go you're on. trying to wrap things up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Methodists are briefer than Baptists. I, I understand. I understand that. <laughs> no, it's okay. We, we, uh, we had a big, um, it was a Palm Sunday. We always observe Palm Sunday, but it's Palm Passion Sunday. So uh, this was a very musically oriented church. Lots of children and youth and everybody wanted to be in it. So it was a big presentation that we did to tell the story of Jesus. It was a, a full play and musical. So half of the church was performing in it, and we were wearing our robes, our, our biblical costumes, and um, it was just, we were in the middle of it, the power went out, and we all kind of stopped and thought, well, okay, how are we going to do this without a sound system? We had just a tape track going, and um, we kept going, and, and um, then the tornado just really dropped down. It had been on the ground in Raglan, but it went up dropped down so we had no warning at all and uh, it just kind of it, it hit so fast we didn't hear that that train roar sound that many have heard before I'm sure um, but it just dropped down right there and just hit the corner of the church roof and lifted the roof over and pulled a, a wall down it was a small small church we were packed to the gills with 146 people that day but the wall fell down on half of the congregation and the roof fell on the other half and um, so I um, that's that's really what happened in those just a short span of minutes and Hannah was uh, sitting on the front row yes. and you 
you saw this, you saw the wall fall on, on her. Yes. I can't say that I saw the wall fall because a brick hit me in the head. I fell. We all fell. Everybody fell in the church. But I knew where Hannah was, and I learned later that two little girls had, they were sitting with her for the choir, the children's choir, and they grabbed her hand, and they started running towards the direction that I was in, and I was running in the direction that she was in. So I found her pretty, pretty quickly. And your, your two-year-old Sarah, who's sitting over here, Sarah's was on here. the back row, yes. and so someone waved and said, we've got, we've got Sarah. Yes, yes. But, but you knew... You knew that Hannah had died. You know, there, a lot of times we know something in our head, but we don't let it come to the surface. And that's, I think, something that happens in, in, in death. Um, I, I found Hannah and I, I, I patted her and she was cold. Um, <laughs> I kept talking to her and I kept reassuring her. And... Um, and then I was really able to go around, and I, I, I looked down, and I realized that I was the pastor, like, like you mentioned. I, 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 um, I, I saw my robe. I was wearing a robe, and I was like, oh, that's right. I'm the pastor here. I'm not just the mother of, of a family. Um, and I looked up, and the sky was clearing, and I prayed my deepest prayer. I just prayed help, and help did come. And um, I, we, we saw a, a rescue worker who shouldn't have been there, but just happened to be checking out, just driving down Highway 9 and drove past the church before he realized our church had fallen. And he turned around and came immediately and, and called for help. Um, we didn't have cell phones or anything like that, but um, the help came so quickly. And um, so I, I experienced God's help from just from from the moment we were in the middle of the story of Christ and then we were still in it and God was still there and and the 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 passion and all that went with the story was was in our hearts and you i've said that sometimes when bad things happen people say things that with good intentions just are not true you had some hurtful things said to you right yes uh I, some people wrote letters and said that um, they were they could under they were like Job's friends. I suppose they said um, you you are a female pastor and you shouldn't have been a female pastor and that's why God allowed your child to die. Just some really hurtful things like that. And uh, we we kind of had a little a little code that when I would open up a letter like that. Uh, sometimes my friends or my family would open the letter first and then say, don't even read this one. <laughs> but I would read one. Then I have to read about 10 loving letters after that just to kind of shake it off a little bit. But you and never your, forget. Your quote that having your faith shaken is different from losing it to me is a poignant, powerful quote. Would you unpack that for a minute? I'll try. Um, I think faith, you know... We, we, our faith is based on those deep, deep understandings, not so much wisdom or knowledge that we get from our experience or even our own abilities. Um, faith comes from um, a God who doesn't give up on you, doesn't let go of you, doesn't stop loving you no matter what happens. And, you know, Job's friends pretty much abandoned him. And so I think, you know, in times like that, God never, I've never felt that God left me. And um, so knowing that God, God persevered and kept loving us and kept 
letting us to um, continue to live. And um, we had um, another child, and um, that was a blessing name? to Hope. What's her middle Hope name? Hope is her Hope? middle name, Laurel Hope. Um, but but our life is, um, you know, grief. Grief is like a hand in front of you. You know, it's, it's all you see for a while, but then you know the hand comes out a little bit, and you begin to see more. And God has blessed us in so many ways in our in our ministry and in our family that I um, I think that hope um, hope comes from just a faith uh, that maybe maybe gets a little shaken up. It's probably good for good for our our faith to be shaken a little bit. I can imagine that every time you tell this story, it's difficult. And the fact that you would come and uh, revisit that with us is a real blessing to us. Reverend Clem, thank you so much. We appreciate you. There are things we can know. We can know that God is good, and God is kind, and God is wise. But there are things we cannot know. Deuteronomy 29 says that the hidden things belong to the Lord. Isaiah 55, God speaks and says, don't don't forget that higher than the, the heavens are above the earth, So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. There are things we can know and there are things we cannot and there are times, as God inspired the writer of Ecclesiastes to say, there are times just to be be, uh, silent. And the difference between having our faith shaken and losing our faith really are really are different things. So when our faith is shaken, I, I would suggest it's, it's a time not to weigh in too quickly, at least, on those mysterious things, but to, to wait, to be still, and to know that God is, is God. And in that really is enough.